Welcome to the For the Church podcast, another great gospel-centered resource from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Jared Wilson. I'm an assistant professor of pastoral ministry and author in residence at Midwestern Seminary. And I'm here as always with my friend and my colleague and my co-host, Ross Ferguson. I'm glad you left the pause. When people are listening, you'll know why that pause is there. Jared, how are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you for asking. I'm doing so wonderful. We've got some good reviews. Oh, I always love reviews. I want to jump right into them because we've got a few. They've been adding up. People have felt the guilt trip. And sometimes people get a little too proud of themselves when they write these reviews. <laughs> well, I'll point maybe a few of those out. This comes from Brian Self Jr. I guess that's right. Brian Self Jr. Guilt-based review writing. <laughs> well, I can't feel too guilty, brother. You gave us five stars. He says, I've been a listener to... FTC for a little over a year now, and I'm done freeloading. Hey, come on aboard, Brian. We're thankful for you. This review, he says, is my chance to give back and tell Jared and Ross that they've helped me spiritually, encouraged me in the ministry God's given me, and helped me see that ministry can be done with joy. Would strongly encourage this podcast for anyone in ministry, and especially pastors, elders. Thank you both for loving the Lord and his church. That's one of the best reviews we've had in a while. Thank you, Brian. Mm. This comes from CBD, CBD, BD, five stars. I listen to this show while doing chores around the house. Jared Wilson is assistant to the professor. Well, that's not exactly right. Assistant to the professor at Midwestern Seminary. No, it's assistant professor, which I know makes people think that you're somehow an assistant to a professor, but it's not that what it you is. you are a professor. It's basically the white belt professor. Yeah. It's the beginning level professor is assistant. And then somehow, magically, you become a real boy and you become an associate, associate professor. And then you especially grow up and you just become professor. And then there is senior professor. Well, there's senior professor. There's also research professor. That's the, yeah. That's you just get to read and write, you know. Maybe you. Don't know what you do already. Maybe me with a student. But <laughs> no, I'm teaching classes, man. I've got course loads. Yeah. So it's not assistant to the professor. Come on, CBD. It's assistant professor. And Ross, are, oh, my word, and then they don't even get your name. They don't even know who you are. Jared Wilson is assistant to the professor, and Ross or Ronnie or whoever, it's not Ronnie. And even when it was Ronnie, it wasn't Ronnie with an I-E. It was Ronnie with an I. He'd be offended by that. And it's Ross, no middle name Ferguson, is the boy next door to the seminary. But that's kind of true. You do live next door to the seminary. Technically, I live on the seminary. Well, yeah. You, well, not in a classroom. You're like in the, <laughs> on the campus. In the, on the campus. They debate Christian movies and discuss William Wilberforce. I don't remember that, but man, this, you're just losing me. If it weren't for the five stars, I'd be really angry about this <laughs> review. I've never written a podcast review before. Am I doing this right? No. No. <laughs> well, some of it. You got five stars. I'll right. tell you what, you got so much mileage. We spent more time on your review than anybody else's because of all that. So you probably did do it right. Just getting some attention, CBD. Um, so thanks for that. Farmer Kyle 21, I just want to thank, uh, five stars, I just want to thank both Jared Wilson and Ross Ferguson for providing a near-perfect blend of gospel-centered theology, practical ministry insight, and refreshing cultural engagement. While many podcasts tend to be overly academic or overly nonsensical, the For the Church podcast excels at providing rich theological insight with just the right amount of nonsense. (laughs) P.S. I want to thank you both for taking the time to talk to me at the TGC conference. It was a more encouraging moment for me than you'll ever know. And Jared, I agree with your opinion on Christian movies. They're usually travesties. (laughs) Thank you, Farmer Kyle. 
this comes from Jacob Dearman. Jacob Dearman, mm-hmm. five stars, posting this review just after listening to the Influential Authors episode and finally being guilted to do so. Jared is actually probably the first one on my list of influential authors. Oh, that's very kind. His book, Gospel Driven Church, really helped me escape the world of pragmatism and unhelpful church success metrics while I was training for pastoral ministry. Months after taking my first pastoral role, Jared released Gospel Driven Ministry, which really helped me in my first years of pastoral ministry. Began attending MBTS online, and the Ferg, Lil Ferg, is my academic advisor. While I don't know either of them personally, outside the quick messaging with Ross related to advising, I found this podcast through these, the two of these men, and it is evident that they love the Lord, each other, and the church. Hashtag Ross started the fire. Hashtag <laughs> it was always burning. Is that a reference? Besides that, the Billy Joel song. Is that, that was a reference, a reference to me uh, and the candles and the cows by candlelight oh, yeah. and burning the organ in the church. What a deep cut. Yeah. Thank he, you, He's Jacob. a real listener. He's a very, he's a real listener. He's got the inside jokes. I don't even have the inside jokes. I forgot that's what you're talking about. Thank you, Jacob. That's very kind. We'll do one more. This comes from J.D. Abel or Abel. I guess I'll find out soon. I think I'm preaching at this brother's church. I just emailed with him. Five stars from J.D. He says, thankful for Jared and Ross and their work for this show. As a pastor, it's so relatable and funny. I learned so much and am encouraged by it. Thanks, guys. Thank you, J.D. Yeah. And uh, if you like the podcast, I'll put this on the front end. Give us a good review. You'll find it read on here. Maybe even a bad review. I mean, don't leave us one. But if you do, I'll probably read that too, unless it's just super ugly. But we got some more. I'll save those for next time. We get an interesting subject today. Yeah. It's a little outside, not outside the box, but, you know, our target audience is kind of the mature Christian leader-minded person. So not necessarily pastors, but certainly including pastors and probably a lot of pastors. But we're not just for pastors. But this one may be... Mm-hmm maybe geared more towards people who think about these things. We're talking about church size dynamics. Yep. How a church functions culturally at different attendance size or, or membership size, and then how pastors operate at yep. different attendance size, which I think probably if you're not a pastor, you probably don't even really think about no. things like this. No, I don't think so. Maybe if you're on some kind of committee or you're, or, yeah. or something like that, you would. But probably most folks aren't thinking about the difference in how churches yep. operate at different sizes. Quick check-in in terms of uh, experience-wise before we kind of delve oh, into sure. this. So I've, talking about being in leadership rather than just attending, I've pastored a church of 20, of 300, of a church of 40 that became about 150, and currently a member of a church of, what are we, about 300 members plus kids, maybe 400 It's a now? little less than that, but okay. yeah. yeah. So, so I've had dynamics all the way from 20 to kind of 400-ish. Yeah. What about yourself? Same. Yeah. So the churches where I've been a lead pastor have been on the small size, small to mid size. I've served in a church that was a mega church at 1.4,000 down to 2,000 over a number of years. I wasn't the pastor. I led mm-hmm. a young adult ministry there and we planted essentially out of that church. So I've been in the, in the mix from everything from yep. small church. My church plant actually out of that church was a micro church. It was very small. Even my small rural church in Vermont was bigger than my church plant. So I've been all over the map as well yep. and, and have seen, even when not a lead pastor, have seen the different dynamics yeah. in, in, in play as well. And like I said, I think the extent to which the average Christian thinks about this is typically their experience of either pastoral care yes. or maybe community. Yes. So if you go to a very large church, you may 
be prone to hear things, even if you don't think mm-hmm. them, but prone to hear things like, it's hard to get to know everybody because yes. there's so many people here, or it's hard to feel a sense of community because there's so many people here, or it's hard to get a meeting with a pastor, mm-hmm. or I don't even know my pastor. That's a very common experience yeah. in the mega church or just a larger church. I don't know what, how we're classifying mega church today. It used to be the, the number was smaller where we say started saying it's a mega church. Now I think they say 2,000 or something, which is crazy. Wow. Like 1,000 isn't a mega church. But in any event, yeah. once your church gets really big, it's very common for, for people to say, oh, I, like I see my pastor on Sunday morning when he, when he preaches. But yeah. other than that, I've never met him. So a really good book on this is uh, a book called Ready, Steady, Grow. Okay. And it's written by an English guy called Ray Evans. And Ray talks about different sizes of churches. And, and the way he kind of labels it is you have your kind of micro church, your, your family church, and that tends to be run by a single family. So, so you're talking very small, probably less than 20 people. It's, it's a small family run church. Then that morphs into a small church possibly still led by the family or a group of elders. Maybe you've not quite got to a stage of hiring someone yet, but the the kind of biggest small church would start thinking about hiring a pastor. He then talks about a medium-sized church and that medium-sized church will hire a pastor, will have elders. You know, the team is beginning to get bigger. He then talks about between a medium and large church of an awkward phase. And that phase where your church is an awkward size off, you've got the leadership team, you've got the pastor, you really need to hire more staff but you just don't quite have the numbers or the finances for it. So you're operating at yeah. an awkward phase of, we need more team, but we can't really get more team. Then you have the large church where you're having multiple pastors, and then you're going to the mega, mega church where it's, it's multiple pastors, multiple leadership teams, and it changes. So Ray Evans actually takes you through the whole gambit of the sizes mm. and talks about the natural flow of increasing the leaders with the most complicated church being the awkward phase where you're between yes. medium and large. Small, uh, the, the family church to the small church gets awkward because you're hiring someone, but the awkward phase is the most difficult. It's also the one that tends to cap your numbers. And I find this in my last the church. plateau. Yeah, yeah, we got to about 150 and we needed to either hire more staff or just accept we're at 150 because I, I personally just couldn't do any more workload. So I think when we're talking about this, there are books out there that talk about church size dynamics. But interestingly, they're very much written towards leadership and leadership individuals rather than the church body as a whole. Oh, interesting. And I wonder if the church body as a whole actually understood a little bit more of this. Yes. Maybe they could help in this process. Well, and that's one of the points of wanting to do this subject on the podcast mm-hmm. is because I think if we can resource or just put it on the minds of the average you know, Christian, average churchgoer, they would now have, oh, that's a like a category I hadn't really thought of. Yeah. Or even just maybe giving some concrete ways to think about some things that they're maybe even frustrated by in yeah. their own church or why you can't seem to get beyond. So let's talk about the s- smaller churches. Yes. Some ca- you know characteristics of smaller churches. What are smaller churches, what's the experience or the culture in them like that usually distinguishes them from larger churches? Sure. You're, you're definitely going to have a smaller leadership uh, okay. Just generally, a couple of elders, a couple of deacons, maybe a single sole pastor. It, it is going to be smaller. When I say pastor, being very clear here, small rural churches tend to have one a solo pastor, uh, solo yeah. pastor paid. Yeah. It will be highly influenced by pastoral visitation. Okay, Smaller churches, I think the uh, we often label pastor preachers uh, as in he's the guy that will do all the preaching. Well, in a small church, that may be true. 
but the key focus is, yeah. is he visiting everyone? Has he been into everyone's home? He does all the funerals. He makes sure that the visitation is a regular thing. So I, I feel the general church size model, the smaller you get, the more visitation you're, you're likely to get and the more interpersonal that the, the, the leadership team is going to be with the church and the church with the leadership team. Yeah. There's some, I think, I don't know if you, if it's, parad- there's some paradoxes at, at play in the smaller church setting because smaller churches tend to be more nimble. They can change more easily. Now, there's other factors that play into this. If it's an older church, either institutionally it's been around a long time or older generationally, that complicates how quickly it can change. But typically, it's easier to make changes in smaller congregations because certain things haven't been institutionalized yet. At the same time, pastors of smaller congregations tend to be more generalists. Yes. They're, have, they're, they're doing more things or they're just doing more of a variety of things by necessity, whether the solo pastor model yeah. or just because there's fewer pastors, perhaps yeah. you're having to do more things, each of you. So, you know, the solo pastor is having to do the pastoral care and the preaching and yes. a lot of administration. And so there's just more generalization. That makes it hard to change quickly. So sometimes it's, it's kind of a paradox that a smaller church is able to change more quickly, but sometimes can't because the pastor isn't able to put everything into kind of a leadership strategy yeah. or initiative. He's kind of having to do all these things in a generalist sense, like a general practitioner. Yeah. And so he's not able to actually effectively lead change because he's sort of drawn all over the place. Yeah, I, I, would, I, I would definitely agree with that. What I would say, though, is when we think about that, we tend to think about that in a negative way, as in because he has to be a generalist. No, I don't mean that in a negative way. Okay. It's just by necessity. Because, that's what the ministry is like. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking of my first church with, with 20 people. One of the things that was really encouraging in that time is because I had to be a generalist and, and, and pretty much do everything from, you know, sorting out the building to setting up the toddler group to preparing the sermon to yeah. working AV, all these things. It also meant that I had to rely also on the church because I just couldn't do everything. And so yeah. you started actually being involved with the church more. And so those 20 people are the 20 people that you're working with fairly intensely for just about anything. And the biggest ministry I think we pulled off, if, if you want to do numbers, we did a, a Christmas uh, Christmas kind of come and go cafe type thing on a, on a Christmas market. And, and we served literally it was like three, 400 members from the community. Every member of the church that was there, every member had a job to do. And also I did all the jobs. It was kind of a, I had to manage everything, yeah. but it felt like a family doing it together. And I yeah. think that's what I'm getting at. I, I think well, that's my, pull these two things together. Yeah. Final characteristic mm-hmm. of a smaller church is it, it it's more familial, yes. or at least it feels more familial. You may not actually be close with people, but <laughs> you have a sense of like, these are the people, the mm-hmm. same people I see all the time. There's a familiarity, even if it's not a familial feeling, yeah. there's a familiarity there that feels familial yeah. because you're seeing these people all the time. You're in it together. Yeah. And that begins to somewhat dissipate. So now let's talk mm-hmm. about larger churches. Yep. What are some of the characteristics of them? I, I think larger churches are harder to change because yes. once the as a church gets larger by necessity, hopefully, the leadership structure complexifies. Maybe mm-hmm. there's more, maybe it just means more, there's more leaders, but it also means maybe there's different teams and you're overseeing mm-hmm. different people. The chain of command tree is a little more yes. complex. It's harder to change when you've got all this complexity yeah. there, but also it's hard to, you know, turn a cruise ship yes. quickly. You just have to move much more slowly. You have to move in a wider arc. 
You know, you have to be more general in terms of the change. It's harder to feel part of a family. Yes. You know, it's harder to to be familial. You can show up, especially larger churches tend to have multiple services, perhaps, unless you just have a gigantic room where everyone can show up. If you have a big church, maybe you don't even see who your brothers and sisters with because you're at a different service. And, oh, you go here. I mean, like just the experience of, hey, you know. You know, are you new here or haven't seen yeah. you or whatever? It's like, oh, I've been coming to church here for, you know, three months now. Yeah. Oh, that embarrassing, yeah. awkward thing. That's beginning to happen at, at Liberty. And yeah. that's for a little while. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about, you know, tension points in a moment. But that tends to happen a lot yeah. in big churches. Yeah. You introduce, how long have you been coming to church? Oh, I've been here for three years. Yeah. Oh, I've been ne- here four years. Never yeah. ask the question. Yeah, how long yeah. have you been here? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, there's, yeah, the, there's better ways of asking. Yeah. It. But, but when you discover someone has been there three years and you're just now meeting them, you know, in smaller churches, that's not the case. Even if you haven't met yeah. them, you've seen them and you know that there's somebody who's been there. And I, I also think that in as you move towards larger churches, there's a general thought process, a general positive pressure that the events should be bigger, reach more people, the impact will be greater, the finances being spent will be be larger. Yeah, smaller, you can do more things. You can do more things. Smaller churches kind of recognize we have a small budget, we, there's just a few of us, we'll do the best with what we've got. As you move larger, it's kind of like bigger is better. And both of us actually recently met a pastor and, and worked with a pastor who's doing revitalization on one of the largest scales I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. I'm taking what we would define probably as a small church towards a mega church. That's kind of the, the numbers we're talking here. And he has a constant positive pressure of doing more, a bigger sermon series, a bigger ministry, a bigger building refurb. You know, everything's bigger. And it's not because the people have a mentality that bigger is better. It's just that seems to be the positive pressure that the larger you get, the more you're going to do. Yeah. And for pastors, that automatically means, in some senses, they're going to do less with the church and more with the institute that is the church. So it's less with the people, more with the actual organization of the building, the events. The, so, so you're morphing away from the, the shepherd, if you will, that is amongst the sheep to more and I'm saying this more in a positive way than a negative way, this kind of CEO where he's having to take, take charge of everything. I don't believe in CEO models. What I'm saying is it's that positive pressure. You know, the sheep will be fine if I can organize these events and these programs in this building. Yeah. It's a, it, and it is a positive. There's loads of negatives there. Yeah. But what I'm saying is this is a positive pressure. People are kind of behind you to say, let's go, because yeah. there's kind of a mass of people that want that. Yeah. So I think this is a good entryway into some of these tension points. Mm-hmm. So you, you had mentioned earlier from the book that that you recommended the awkward phase mm-hmm. of when, so they're kind of between, you've plateaued out and yeah. typically, so people talk about, it used to be that all the discussion was about the 500 barrier. Yeah. That once you hit, you know, right below, you know, 500, it's very difficult to get above 500 attendance. There's also like the 200 barrier. So this, the awkward phase in Ray Evans is 200 to 250. Okay. So when you get close to 200 and you're just finding it hard to get right over that hump. What are some of the tension points there? And one of them is just, we kind of spoke about it without talking about the tension, but in a smaller church, the solo pastor or a couple of pastors can be generalists by necessity. And and it's good. It's not a negative thing, but by necessity, you're more of a generalist. You're having to do more things. Mm-hmm. Right? I think as a church grows and complexifies, pastor needs to become more of a specialist, yes. especially if there's more pastors, right? Yep. And the tension point is typically we still have a solo pastor or maybe we've got one pastor and, and one associate or a youth guy mm-hmm. or something like that. 
we've now grown to the point where we really need to complexify, but we still expect our pastors to be a generalist. And mm-hmm. it's we both know from experience that when you're a generalist pastor at 20 or 40 people, yeah. okay, yep. there's there's yep. pressures and stresses, but yeah, I'm okay. Once you get to 150, yeah. approaching 200, the solo pastor who's got to be a generalist, that's burnout time. You see, you've got to add more people or you've got to rethink what we need from our pastor. Yeah. I was about to re-education is is key at that point for your church, because although you may be as the pastor or elder starting to feel that pressure of, I I just can't do everything. The church is still expecting you to to be the generalist. They still expect you to turn up to the, the youth night and the prayer night and the senior adult prayer meeting and preach the two sermons. They still expect that. And so there needs to be a re-education. I've talked about this with visitation. A lot of church members don't see it as a visit unless it's from the pastor. Yeah. Uh, anything else is not a visit. The the lead pastor. The lead pastor. Yeah. And so I think when you get to that awkward phase of church dynamics, church sizes of kind of, I, I would say kind of 150 above, a re-education needs to be done with the church of, this is the key things that the pastor is going to be looking into. Now we've hired another pastor. Here's the key things they're going to be looking to. At times they're going to cross each other and they're going to work together on things. But these are the areas they're going to specialize in. It's really important. I think the pastors always have a touch on everything. So just because you're, I know at Liberty, your focus now is going to be preaching as one of our pastors, a preaching pastor, but you're not going to just suddenly stop doing any form of visitation. You know, you're not going to just refuse to do visitation because you're focusing on preaching. It's more the weight is different. Yeah. And I think as we get larger in church sizes, churches need to understand that there's a weight difference. In my second church, I was the associate pastor. We had a pastoral assistant and we had a senior pastor. So there's three of us and we weighted things differently. So the pastoral assistant did senior adults. The senior pastor mainly did the the bulk of preaching. And I took on kind of families and young adults. Now, the reality is we often crossed over. You all do, yeah. We often crossed over and we often came to the same events together. But when it came down to Monday morning, what needs to be done, those separations were given and we were able to have everything. But we definitely saw problems with church members struggling to go, but I want a visit from him. Right. Well, I, I get that, but he's doing these things. Yes. So I think the awkward phase can often be rem- the awkwardness removed when we just openly educate the church of this is where we're at yeah. and this is the guys we've got and this is what each one is going to be doing and helping the church get on board with that. Yeah. Another tension point, aside from churches uh, unable to make the transition of seeing their pastors as from generalist to specialist, is the budget concern issue. Oh, yeah. yeah. The more people you have, the more ideas those folks have and the more things they want to do. And th- those are good things. And it's it, it's usually noble causes or you know, things that need to be expanded. But if your budget's not there, yeah. right, some, you know, people give more ideas than they do money usually. Yeah. And so the tension point is like, yeah, we're right on the cusp of being able to do more, resource more, serve more, give more. But our budget is is hitting this yeah. limit. We're in a growing pain season where we can't quite get there, yeah. turning the, you know, the page. Or as you mentioned, needing to hire additional yeah. staff, like we could really be freed up you know, ministerially, if we could add another, mm-hmm. even a, just part-time, add another, you know, position, but we just don't quite have the yeah. money. Or if we do it, we're really stretching yeah, and it's going to hamstring us in other areas or, or cause us to, you know, to need to sacrifice in other areas. Yeah. And that's usually where sometimes that awkward phase where churches, I mean, I was in this position where I was the, the only staff pastor. I was the only staff person. Mm. And so I'm, I'm the lead pastor not only am I the only full-time pastor, I'm the only 
staff. So if someone's calling the church, I'm the one who's answering the phone. Yeah. If someone's sending the general church email, I'm the one answering the email. I'm making copies. I'm setting up to, which is all fine. At the same time, like we're hitting numbers now where like, man, I really, even w- w- though we've got, we've added lay elders, those guys all have day jobs and families. And like, yeah. I really could use somebody here, even if just part time yeah. to help me, especially with administrative type stuff. And And the church was like, that's not coming. Yeah. Like, we don't have that money. We're underpaying you. Yeah. So w- where's that money going to come from? And, you know, if that's a heart to heart as your church is growing to say, hey, for us to keep up and for you to be served well, we need to give well so we yeah. can actually afford these things. Or you just need to lessen your expectations. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, you know, we're at 150 now. And so expecting the same out of one guy that you had when there was 40 of us yeah. is maybe a little unreasonable, you know? Yeah. And I, I think it's also, uh, you, you're talking about kind of staffing things. Think about building as well. Mm-hmm. So so we as a church at, at Liberty Baptist Church, we're in a really awkward phase as a church. We have two services which we we don't we don't want we want the whole church to be together but by nature of the size of our building we've had to go to two services we don't have the money to build a new building we don't have the money to buy a new building we maybe just have enough money to fix up our current building but yeah. we'll probably we don't not want to be in that building <laughs> we're, we're not going to hit the capacity that we want so we're right. in this really awkward phase of either a massive amount of money has to come in or we're going to have to just sit in this tension of this awkward phase and maybe get a little bit of creative kind of thoughts flowing to, to increase our, our church building size a little bit. But again, smaller churches don't tend to have this problem. Actually, they tend to have the problem of we've got all this space, what do we do? Or even should we have a building because, you know, we're a small number, maybe we could just rent somewhere. Yeah, Larger churches do need a building generally. I, I know of one church locally in Kansas City that, that rents that's fairly well known here that, that rents a, a theater. And again, they have this tension always of we kind of need to borrow buildings because we need to do church members meetings and different things. Right, right. And it, can, it, and whatever, it yeah. gets really tricky. So as you're getting larger, a lot of funds are often going into a building. That's what we found in, in my last church. The building hadn't been ch- touched for kind of 20 years. It was time for a refurb. Just to get up to code, we had spent 30000 just to get fire safety stuff sorted. And we hadn't even touched our capacity issues. Yeah. And sooner or later, you're starting to realize, wow, this is a lot. I just talked to one pastor that said anywhere between half a million and a million dollars he needs to spend just on his HVAC systems for his large building. And he has to, or the building is going to be boiling for people to sit in. And therefore, that affects numbers and ministry and all sorts of things. So I think as the larger you get, and, and this is maybe beyond awkward phase, you're going to large to mega yeah. large churches. The building is both a blessing and a curse because of yeah. just the sheer amount of money that has to go into it, which therefore stunts often what you can do yeah. because you've got to keep this building running. Yeah. A couple other tension points I think of as a church moves from small to large or smaller to larger one is just the leadership complexity. Like, yeah. so at some point as you grow, you add pastors and deacons. You're adding pastors and deacons, adding pastors and deacons. Well, if your church gets to a thousand, you know, do you have a hundred <laughs> elders? I mean, like, yeah. as somebody like, okay, there's a cap here. I don't know what the magic number is, yeah. but we can't just keep adding elders, 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 because yes. now it's unfeasible that we've got this gigantic elder board. Yeah. So we have to complexify in some way. Mm-hmm. We need elders over certain areas and we need other kinds of leaders and so your leadership structure yeah. complexifies to keep up as to have people who are adequately cared yeah. for and accountable. And of course, you know, there's somebody who's listening to this right now thinking it's like, you should never get 
this big. You just plant. You send people out. And, and that's, that's complex and that's as well, though. That's complex as well. And, and you need to be just thinking through strategically yeah. that it, you can add elders, but at some point now you have to, your, your chain of command changes becomes a tree of some yeah. kind. This director over this and this team and this person yeah. was directed over that. And we started to do this a little bit at Liberty. We, we, we do add elders and we, do, we are about to add deacons, Lord willing, to our current rosters. At the same time, we're now assigning to different deacons and elders certain areas of oversight that we didn't really do before. It, it was previously all the elders kind of were generalists yeah. and we just sort of would divvy up, hey, can you handle that this week? Can you? And we still do that for some issues, but, yeah. you know, primarily pastoral care issues and things like that. But there's also we're over certain areas. So, you know, Pastor Sam is over the children and youth area yeah. and he's not directing those things. We have teachers, volunteers. Yeah. But he's the guy, if you need a pastor to talk to about what's going on in youth, yeah. he's the first line. You go, to, you go to Sam. If you want to know what's going on with the, the resources in the library, whatever, you go to Pastor Brandon. He's the one yeah. who's overseeing those things. Personnel, until recently, that is me. We're going to go to Jared. He's going to, we're going to talk about the, yeah. you know, staffing issues, those sorts of things. You just have to complexify as you go. Yeah. You communication know? is going to be key for yeah. that. So when you're in a small church, communication is just, you go to the pastor, tell him everything and anything. It yeah. doesn't really matter what it is. He's the guy to go to. The larger you get, you're going to have to streamline that communication. Actually, my last church, we hired a communications and media guy yeah. in the church. He did and all of our media. And be discerning about what you're putting out there. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and he he took control of that. He was very much a, no, we're not going to post that. Actually, we will post this. Yeah, and um, people coming through the website, even church communications of how we email things out. He dealt all with that because actually what I was finding was I was so busy trying to deal with everything else that I was having poor communications. I was yeah. missing things. I was spelling things wrong. You're just simple thing because <laughs> it was just a constant flow. Yeah. Here's my other thing though, okay. just on top of communication. Wait, but I just want to camp out on that okay. just for a second because this is, I hadn't even thought of this, but it's so true. When you're a smaller church, you can treat every outlet of communication almost like a bulletin board. Yes. We've got a Facebook page. We've got, yeah. hey, pastor, can you send this email out? I really need some extra hands yeah. with this thing or that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. we'll put that out there because we're just a family and we're yeah. just sharing. As your church gets bigger, what people don't, and, and, and it frustrates people. Yeah. Hey, what do you mean you won't send that email? I really yeah. need help with this thing yeah, or that yeah. thing. And I really want the church to know about this thing and that thing. And you're like, well, there's, there's more of you now. Yeah. And if we did that, that's all we, we'd, we'd yeah. be doing. Like, we're not a social club. We're not a bulletin board. You know, like, you just reach out to the people you yeah. know or put on your own face. You know what I mean? Like, um, but that includes the church services. I, I'm laughing. Yeah, the number of announcements. The number of announcements. Hey, could you add, Pastor, that yeah. we're going to, you know, have a meeting afterwards to, you know, clean the gutters? And are like, well, no, maybe this is the way we do that, yeah. but I don't think this is the way we do that. Miriam and I went to, I did pulpit <laughs> supply one church and they opened the service by saying, uh, before we get started, we've just didn't need to double check with the church picnic. Who Who's bringing the cheese? And, and that was how they opened the service because it's a family church. That's, that's what right. you do. Yeah, that's right. Communication is so key. I, I would say that's something that Liberty, we're now kind of working through that yeah, actually, yeah. because as we're getting at that size, who should we talk to? How should we talk to them? What outlets do we do we kind of promote stuff, do yeah. stuff on? It, it's tricky. It's a tricky Well, you're world. having to say no more because you get a number of requests. Can yeah. you can you send an all-church email? Yes. Can you send an all-church email? And when you're smaller, yeah. okay. Sure. But the larger you get, the more you got to say, no, no that, that doesn't quite it. qualify. Yeah. yeah. One of the things I was going to say, I, I don't know if you've heard this before, and I can't quite remember if it's related to staff pastors and you've hired someone or if it's related to an elder that's a lay elder, but for every 100 people, you should have one pastor. I've heard this I've idea, heard that kind yeah. of before. 
Now, I don't know if it if it works, but what I'm trying to say is there is a model of the larger you get, you have to automatically, there's going to be a number that you just know we need to add staff here. We need to do that. Right. And, and we're in a situation at our church where we've got probably less elders, less pastors right now. We you know, might look for, for more. We're increasing our deacons. There'll come a point where our current pastors will just go, actually, this is more than what we can handle. Our numbers have got to a point where we need two more pastors. We need two more elders. Right. And that shouldn't be a worry or concern to the church. It should be just by nature of the numbers we've got to and the nature of the ministries we've got to, it's time to increase our size. I agree with you. You said this earlier. Yeah. There might have to be a cap. Yeah. Interestingly, the Church of Scotland as a kind of state, kind of Protestant Presbyterian church, they do elders for the community. So their elder boards are 60 people for the oh, church wow. because it's a kind of parish system. And I know from churches I've worked with in the past and, and talked with, the meetings are just a nightmare because there's just so many people. And it has to either be autocratic, this is what you're doing, no questions asked because there's so many, or it descends into kind of anarchy. And I think a smaller team that's effective is better than a larger team that's ineffective. Yeah. So yes, in your church, as you grow, small, medium, large, even going to mega, yes, add team members. Don't be scared of that. But keep it lean. Keep, keep it on the side of, I would almost say, one staff member less than you actually need. It's almost like try and keep that lean. I'm <laughs> yeah, not trying to say okay. keep it lean and keep it mean so they, <laughs> they stay keen. I'm not trying to say that. Okay. But just keep it on the that's, side. That's little fur grabbing right <laughs> <Yeah>. there. <laughs> uh, keep it on the side where discussion flows well, where decision making yeah. can still be quick and, and simple as a process. And it's not cumbersome with so many people. You know what else changes this dynamic? You mentioned one pastor for every 100 people. That's like a staff Mm-hmm. pastor full-time or just yes. close to yes when most of your elders or the majority of your elders are lay elders you may need yeah, to double you may that need to so double like it. i was just thinking well we have you know 250 active i suppose yeah. in our church and we have seven we had eight pastor jacob just moved on but seven yeah. elders but currently well as of this week we now have two yes full-time so th- the rest are lay elders yes and and we already find like, man, we may need to add to the elder yeah. board. There's only 250 people here, but, you know, most of our pastors have other day jobs yeah. and, you know, and young kids and those sorts of things. So, yeah, the, you know, that affects it as well. You yeah. think, man, we've already got a bunch of elders. Why can't you get the job done? Well, he's got 40 hours a week plus that he's already yeah. working. And then he's adding pastoring on top of that. Which we need more of these guys. We need more deacons as well. As well. That's right. So we're talking yeah. elders, the but practical I service, think we yeah. really need good, strong deacons who are proactive in serving the church and releasing our pastors and elders to preach, to visit, to deal with those complicated dynamics within a church. And I I think both are underused, certainly in SBC circles here, I've seen where you've got the solo pastor and the 20 deacons, and actually the pastor's still feeling burnout. Why? Because (laughs) even just the load of pastoral care is too much for him. And then the flip side where you've got you know, 10, 15 pastor elders and maybe six deacons and the building is hard to keep on top of, the managing ministries, the funds, the finances. I think a good, I don't, I don't know what a good model is. I'm, I'm kind of just spinning here, but, you know, one elder, two deacons, you know, go to two elders, four deacons. You know, I, I don't know what it is, but what I'm saying is both naturally need to grow as the church grows. Yeah. And in some senses, you can have generalists of both teams both elders and deacons, 
but you, as you get bigger, you're absolutely going to have to have specialists in areas. Yeah. And I know of one deacon we have now who is very much a specialist in, in maintenance. He works, his day job is in, in maintenance and therefore he helps and serves the church through maintenance as well. And so we, you're absolutely going to need those specialists, which the guy that we've met recently is doing revitalization on, on the larger scale. That's what he's having to find is that he doesn't need generalists. He needs specialists because it's, it's such an undertaking. Yeah. The last tension point I would mention is just in the area of programming. So oh, yeah. I'm, I'm a big fan of the simple church concept. And I, I've even seen this take place in smaller churches, especially in smaller churches where everyone is wanting, every idea is valuable. So we all like every idea should become a program or should become a, you know official ministry of the church. But it especially gets more difficult as you get bigger mm. because you have more resources. Maybe you're now growing into a bigger building, but you've got more people. Hey, we can do more things. And so it's very common to move from a simple church concept, which I think keeps you focused on the things you got to be focused on, to now have, having a full-fledged, mm. like, we got the recreation team and we've got the food ministry and we've got the, yeah. you know, this ministry and that ministry and this service and that. And we've got all these bells and whistles and... Really, are we even really a church anymore, or are we a religious resource center? Mm. Are we on mission anymore, or are we just sort of entertaining and occupying yeah. and preoccupying everybody? It just gets harder, and people, do, you yeah. know, they find it difficult to understand. We've yeah. got all this stuff and all this money. Why shouldn't we have the program for that and the yeah. program for this and the program for everything? And it's like, well, because that's not the point of the church. Yeah. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't mean that those things are bad or that you couldn't do them as an individual calling as a Christian or getting some you know, people together, hey, let's start a ministry together towards this end. But it doesn't mean that it needs to be an official thing of the church, because the more you add on, the more distracted you get from mm. the primary focus of a church. I just think you can over-busy yourself yeah. in programming. Yeah. I mean, I agree to some extent, but I know we've had this conversation before. I also slightly disagree. I prefer, I think you you have simple church. I would have simple and a, and a little bit more. I, I, I quite like some programs not as a way of growing the church, but more just as a of service that, that this church is going to focus in this particular way. So my last church, we had a, a very particularly strong ministry within the homeless community of, of our city. And, and we were known as that church. We were known as the church where uh, we would help the homeless. And, and that was a, a key ministry. Because it was a key ministry, it meant we did a lot less elsewhere. And I sure. was not a fan of saying, we have to do the youth ministry. We have to do the teenage ministry. We have to do students. We have to do homeless. I was going, actually, we, we have resources and time for, I think, this one strong thing. Let's do this kind of one key Yeah, but ministry. I mean, that's being on mission. You've narrowed down. Yeah, we've, we've narrowed the same it thing down. my church plan is to say, like, our simple church concept is, what are the non-negotiables? Where we community, hmm. worship, and mission. Yeah. And so we just, and our mission focus was on the inner city. Yeah. Our, our mission focus in particular was a ministry that provided mentoring and tutoring after school program for underprivileged kids. We're helping them. We're serving with them. They have a full-fledged program yeah. as well, multiple things. And we're just, hey, how can we help you? How, yeah. We're going to fund you. We're going to send volunteers. And that became our focus. Yeah. And I think that was the way we expressed being on local mission. Yes. I don't think that's... Yeah, I think what we're saying is avoid having some event on Monday to Sunday morning, afternoon, and night. I think, yeah, avoiding just like the buffet mentality, yes. you know, yeah, because it can just very easily distract people. And it can also... If you've got so many programs going on, it's possible, like, I could be at the church every night of the week because yeah. there's a different thing. Well, when are you engaged with yeah. your neighbors? When are you really even caring for your family yeah. if it's just constantly 
programming, programming, yeah. programming. So I'm not against programs. Yeah. I just limit them. As you get bigger, yeah, it becomes tempting. Oh, look at all the yeah. you know shiny things we can do. And Which often yeah. when you're at the mega church size, and I've actually experienced this just recently in visiting a mega church, I think they have about 1,500 people. For every new ministry they do, they hire a new pastor. And that pastor just does that ministry and actually doesn't really know the inner workings of the church family. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, oh, I'm just here to do the academic ministry. Oh, I'm just here to do the homeless ministry yeah. because they're at the size where they can afford it. You know, almost they have too much money. Therefore, they just resolve it by let's just hire a staff member. He can run it. And <laughs> yeah. in this particular church, I'm thinking of they have 72 members of staff. And that just, that seems a lot. That seems that's a big staff. That's a, a big staff. And I don't quite understand how all that operates as one single focus of glorifying God through making and growing disciples. And I'm pretty sure if you dig deep in this church, you're going to just find that model off. We hired him because we had this. Yeah. I'm not a fan of that. Gotcha. I think just in conclusion, like the major takeaway for those listening is to have some patience and Mm -hmm. some thoughtfulness as it relates to this. If you're in a church that's in this sort of awkward phase, you're in that kind of 120 to 160, approaching 200, or maybe you're right below 500. You're in those, those kind of transitional stages. Yeah, have some some thoughtfulness and some patience with your leaders as they sort out. Don't be you know, impatient with your church or the, the experience of your church, particularly if you're on the smaller side and your church is growing. There's just a lot of growing pains that come along with, uh, we can't be what we used to be. There's mm-hmm. people coming that are new and that's different. And yeah, just have some grace for those around you. And we'll end with a couple of resource recommendations. Can you rename the book? That It's Ready, Steady, Grow Ready, Steady, by Grow. Ray Evans. Okay. It's, I know in the UK it's £10. So if you're listening in the UK, it's £10. I, I reckon it'll be $13, $14 here. Okay. And I want to recommend, this is a free resource you can find online. It's from Ken, uh, Tim Keller, Leadership and Church Size Dynamics. Mm. Leadership and Church Size Dynamics. Free PDF you can find for download online been super helpful at my last few churches. We've shared this as leadership teams because what Keller does is he works through the different size churches and what pastors need to be and how leadership structures mm-hmm. and dynamics work generally. You know, it's not a formula per se, but it's some good guidelines there. So we'll end with those recommendations. If you enjoy the podcast, your listener, recommend us to others in your social media feeds and also, of course, good reviews on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. And until next time, may Jesus be big in your church. You've been listening to the For the Church podcast, hosted by Jared Wilson, found online at ftc.co. This resource is brought to you by Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, where we train leaders for the church.